All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Ah, gosh, you all you fans of mine who have been listening to this show, God bless you for all these years. Uh, we've had a lot of different sales conversations and sales-oriented conversations over the years. And you also know that David Meerman Scott, who has been on this show several times, has long been advocating the importance of buyer personas. And so today's conversation promises to be very, very important. It's going to take this whole idea of buyer personas to an entirely different level and one that I think we could all, especially me, benefit from. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Say hello to my guest. Her name is Adele Ravella. She is the CEO of the Buyer Persona Institute. Adele, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Todd. I'm just delighted to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you. I appreciate you carving out some time to join me. I know you're very, very busy at this time of the year, especially with this hot new book out there, and and uh, got some exciting news about this book that we'll, I'm sure, share in just a few minutes, uh, Adele. Before we get into our conversation, however, take a few quick seconds and tell us a bit about you and your background, and then give us a quick overview of the Buyer Persona Institute. What do you do? How do you serve? Yeah, so the company's been around for just about six years now. My background is about 35 years in technology industry sales and marketing positions. And I started the company to solve a problem that I saw. I mean, it's mostly in the technology industry, B2B, very complex sales cycles, long sales cycles. And I was very disturbed about the disconnect between marketing teams and the sales teams and the buyers. And it's, that's really a continuum, right, Right, Todd? It's like, yeah. it, you know, it's not just the disconnects between sales and marketing. Everybody talks about that. But for me, the, the source of the problem is really of that the buyer isn't at the forefront of the marketer's mind. They don't have a good way to understand what the salespeople are dealing with when they have encounters with the buyers, and nothing was working very well. And so I started a company to solve that problem, and we started off as a training company trying to train marketers to build buyer personas, and we still do that a little bit, but our primary service now is actually doing this work for our clients. We go out and interview the buyers, and we deliver a completed buyer personas to the marketing teams. And we help them craft stories that not only talk about all the benefits, sort of garbage that everybody likes to talk about, but really gets to the heart of what affects the buying decision. 
And so this is a little different approach to buyer personas than most people are talking about. That's why I wrote the book is because there's a lot of noise out there about buyer personas, but very few companies that are really talking about understanding buying decisions and not just the people who make them. So, and oh, I just got to get this in here, Todd, that just in this month's issue of this, uh, the December 1st issue of Fortune magazine, Buyer Personas, my book, was named one of the five best business books of the year. And so I'm just, I'm humbled, honored. I mean, if somebody told me that Santa Claus was real, I wouldn't have been more surprised <laughs> than I was when that happened. But anyway, so that's, that's, that's a little bit about me. That's great. Well, that's proof that Santa exists. That's exciting news. Uh, again, that's a, you said a top five business book from Fortune magazine. Yes. Amazing. Uh, that's great news. Well, congratulations on that. So the book is Buyer Personas, How to Gain Insight into Your Customers' Expectations, Align Your Marketing Strategies, and Win More Business. Now, one of the questions I typically ask, it's no surprise to you, Adele, that I interview a lot of authors who've written a book about sales. And there's a lot of different subsets of what sales is. And so I always ask the same goofy question, why did the world need another book on sales? But frankly, you partially answered that question just a minute ago. And so I won't ask you that. But let me ask you this question. I think there's a big disconnect here in that if you were to survey a sales professional, whether they were a sales rep or a sales manager or a VP of sales in some organization, large or small, and said, do you have a good handle on the buyer persona of your typical customer? I have a feeling that a significant majority of them would say, well, yeah, of course we do. But I think yeah. you and I both know they probably don't. So am, am I correct in that assumption? And, and what is an organization doing wrong? Where are they falling short when they think they have a handle on their buyer personas, but they probably actually don't? Yeah, well, first of all, salespeople, I mean, and I ran sales and I was a sales rep, right? So I've been there and I'm, you know, I'm, this isn't casting aspersions on any of us. You know, we're, salespeople aren't paid to look for patterns and trends. Yeah, they're, right. they're paid, and they should be paid, to treat every account as unique. And, you know, that's all well and good until we now bring marketing into the equation, and we have to begin, and, and buyers are starting to be so, you know, wily and out there making up their own minds about who they're even going to consider. Marketing's supposed to be influencing that process. But if we don't have a good sense in the company and if we don't have a shared sense in the company of who those buyer personas are and how we need to engage with them in order to be compelling and say something that will persuade them to consider us, then we're, we're missing the boat. And, and, you know, sure, if we're a market leader, maybe we're in the consideration set most of the time, but we're not always in the consideration set. And if we don't if we don't make marketing more efficient in solving this problem, then we're, we're missing out on way too many opportunities. Well, what is that disconnect? Now, see, it's not, it's, this is a difficult question for me to ask because I have a very different perspective on it with this idea, as you said, this disconnect between sales and marketing. Now, I run a very small organization, and at any given time, 
I have somewhere between, uh, say, 10 and 20 clients. And so I, I have a small client load. And so that naturally translates into the fact that I don't have that many more prospects. So I'm not sitting there managing a database with thousands of prospects. And so this is a different problem for me than, say, a large enterprise organization that will, that may at any given time have thousands of thousands of, of prospects in a, in a CRM database. So to me, sales and marketing is the same thing. I, I look at it as a very similar thing. I don't, I don't really necessarily separate how I view those, but, but that's not applicable to a lot of larger organizations. So what is, I mean, and I've been in business now for over 20 years, and this is still a problem. As long as I can recall thinking about and observing business and business culture, there has been this disconnect between sales and marketing. Why does that still exist? And how do we begin to close that gap and solve that problem? Well, this is, I mean, you, that was a perfect setup, Todd. And, you know, congrats for asking it that way because in a small, very small company or with a very, very targeted group of prospects, maybe this isn't such a big deal. But the clients we're working with are companies that have, you know, very distinct sales and marketing teams. And let me just, let me give you my definition of the difference between sales and marketing. So a salesperson is someone who persuades one buyer at a time. Marketing has to persuade a market full of buyers. Hmm. So the reason you don't have that, the reason you see those as the same is because you're really persuading one buyer at a time. But if the company has to persuade a market full of buyers to consider them, then that's a very different job than the job the sales rep has of getting on the, you know, getting on the phone or getting face-to-face with one buyer, understanding their goals and objectives, understanding, if you will, their, their persona, and then creating that perfect match between that particular account and the, the service or solution or product that that sales rep represents. If for a marketing team to do that, uh, they really are locked in their rooms you know, or even if they go on sales calls with salespeople, they're not getting visibility to what brings buyers to the table and what causes buyers to decide to consider that company's solution versus their competitors versus the status quo, you know, the biggest enemy of all. And, and how do we as a team, as a marketing organization, begin to bring more truly qualified buyers to the table? And so that's the job. That's the distinction between sales and marketing for me. Mm. Well, that's a great that's a great way to look at it. And I've <laughs> again, no surprise to you. I've heard a lot of definitions of the difference between the two over the years, and and that really helps me clarify and makes it easier for me. In fact, I'm going to steal it and use that same uh, messaging uh, when someone asks me that question down the road. So I appreciate you clarifying that. All right. Well, I want to get into buyer personas. Obviously, that's the the gist of this book. But we'll do that after we return from this quick break. So Adele Ravella and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. 
Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com. All right, so I am back with Adele Ravella, the author of Buyer Personas, How to Gain Insight into Your Customers' Expectations, Align Your Marketing Strategies, and Win More Business. All right, so Adele, this is silly that I'm asking this question leading off the second half of the show. And I imagine that most people who are listening are familiar with buyer personas, but just in case there is someone listening who who either doesn't know or could frankly benefit from getting a clean, crisp definition of what you mean by a buyer persona, what is that definition? Great question, Todd, because this is why I wrote the book. Because most people, and they're partially right, think that a buyer persona is a representation of an example buyer that you want to influence. I, in my book, make this distinction around that's only half of the buyer persona and, in fact, the least valuable half. The most important part of a buyer persona tells you exactly how, when, and why your buyer makes a decision to buy a product or service like yours. So we distinguish a buyer persona between two parts. The buyer profile profiles the person. The buying insights part, this is the really valuable part, gets into this into the mindset of the buyer as they go through this decision cycle and arrive at a conclusion about which service or product they're going to buy. Okay, I'm glad I asked that question because frankly I needed help on this because it's not just a profile. All right, it's it's no. someone with this in this age group and this in this geographic region that has these interests. I mean, this is you're getting into the mind here. You're getting into the how, when, or why they actually make the buying decision, not just who they are. Am I am I correct? Yeah, too much of the time. I and this is why this is why I wrote the book is yeah. that I started seeing too much junk on the internet saying, you know, this that, you know, this is marketing Mary, and she's got two kids and a dog, and you know has this degree. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just useless. And if we keep describing this as a buyer persona, we're going to pretty soon quit doing this because it's such a waste of time. Well, why that becomes ineffective is you say, okay, well, if the typical customer fits these parameters, well, then my job is simply just to find more people that fit those parameters. And that's, if if I'm correct, that's not what you're saying is that each of those individuals have a different means by which they make a buying decision. Is that what we're getting at here? Yeah. So there's two problems with just buyer profiles. One is it's it's not, it it ends up helping people arrive at the wrong conclusions about how to segment their market. And because demographics are a really poor approach to segmentation, you know, I mean, it's been better than nothing. We've been doing this forever, and it was better than nothing. But in this day and age, when buyers have so many choices and so much information at their fingertips, knowing their age and their income category is just, you know, like the thinnest of data that we could possibly work with. The second reason that it isn't useful is that it doesn't help marketers build better content, build better sales tools. So it doesn't help the salespeople prepare for the objections they're going to encounter when they get in face-to-face with that, with Marketing Mary or whoever she is. So we've got to get inside 
those concerns inside those objections and those, you know, not just the bad news, but also what do they hope to accomplish? How does the buyer evaluate and weigh one solution versus another? What are the criteria they use to do that? So that now the marketing content gets richer, the sales tools and the sales preparation is better, and we aren't defining people based on such simplistic terms that are, that are actually, you know, pretty weak given our current data sets. So am I correct in understanding that part of the problem, we talked at the top half of the show about the sales versus marketing, and I hate to phrase it that way, but you get what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah. Is the big problem there that, that the marketing are, is, generally, is generally marketing towards these, quote, profiles, as you say, versus a legitimate Adele Ravella-sanctioned buyer persona? Yeah, if people are using buyer personas today, and this is, there's plenty of studies been done on this, First of all, people are building buyer personas and not using them at all because they get all of those profiles that they're calling personas, and they don't even know what to do differently. Yeah. And so they're just kind of sitting around. And, and mostly, you know, the marketers that we see, and I mean, I was there. This is, you know, I've been in marketing, been in sales. It, it isn't based on personas at all. It's really based on the product. You know, we're talking about what our product does or the benefits of our product. And in, in the day of a very educated buyer, that's just noise to them. They've heard that before. Every competitor's products deliver the same benefits. So the buyers are annoyed about this. We interview buyers every day who say, please tell me something useful. Tell me something useful. Boy, if there's one lesson learned from this conversation is, is do that. Uh, and that changes your sales process entirely if, you, if you're telling your market something useful. Because I, let's be honest, I mean, if you're in a large organization and you've probably spent good money and, and, and devoted a lot of time to collecting reams and reams of data and you have all this stuff organized nicely in tabs and three-ring binders, but let's be honest, most marketing departments aren't diving into the why behind all that. They're just... They're, and they're not even necessarily, they may have distinctions of buyer pr- profiles, but they're not really targeting on those on those different profiles. I mean, they're, they're just putting out marketing and, and checking off a box that, all right, we got the job done. So, all right, well, how do you, so how do you begin to turn the corner? I mean, how do you, how do you, I guess, and obviously it's the reason you wrote the book and, and the book goes into a lot of de- detail about how to do this, but share one or two key insights to someone listening to say, all right, I'm willing to get serious on creating a buyer persona in the Adele Ravella idea of it, not what I used to think of it as more of a profile. How, how do you begin to, to change the, the culture internally to focus on that? And then I guess another follow-up question to that is you can probably break this down further by the stages in the sales process, yeah? Yes, so exactly. And so the first and most important thing is we've got to get into the mindset that marketers need to understand the buying decision. And the way that's done is through a very specific kind of interview that's very unique. It's, that's why I wrote the book, too, and you know, it's why the book is trending well with market researchers is because the, kind, the traditional kinds of research that companies are doing around surveys and focus groups and so forth aren't going to reveal the insights you need. This is an in-depth, one-on-one interview with people who may have never considered you or did consider you and, and didn't decide to cho- didn't choose you or people who did choose you. And it's a very unique kind of interview. 
one-on-one to get buyers to tell their story about how they went through the buying decision. And as we get the buyer to tell that story, and we do this without a script and without, you know, stupid questions that just annoy people, and we just let them tell their story, we're getting that buyer to walk us through every stage of the buyer's journey, which we can then start to see the disconnects with the way we've defined the sales journey. You know, And the salespeople are increasingly involved later in the sales cycle, so they aren't even privy to what's going on at the beginning of that journey. We get all of those insights, and we start to map out how buyers want to go through that journey. Adele, is there a way to, can you, can you serve multiple buyer personas? I worry that if someone goes through this exercise, they're going to come out of it and say, well, shoot, I could classify these into multiple categories, and how do they deal with that problem? Or is that a problem? Or am I asking, or am I thinking about this in the wrong way? I guess another way to ask the question is, through that process, can I determine, all right, I have basically three types of buyer personas and I need to market and then sell them differently? I mean, am I, how am, I, am I on the right track on that, or am I, am I way off? No, you're absolutely on the right track. And the beauty of starting with the buying decision and buying insights rather than buyer profiles is that when we look at buying decisions and we gain, and I, I, I talk in the book about the five insights we need about buying decisions, and we look for patterns and trends across those five insights, we find that we have far fewer personas than we thought we did. And so even though we may have a number of people involved in the company to, to affect a, a conclusion to a buying decision, in a, if we start with buyer profiles, we would call each of those a separate persona. When we start with buying insights, we find that they have so much in common most of the time that we don't need different personas and, you know, therefore we don't need different marketing assets or we don't need as many marketing assets as we think we did. And the same thing happens when we look across geographic boundaries, industry boundaries, company size boundaries. We now come up with meaningful distinctions between buyer personas. And so companies that might have thought they had 30 buyer personas are down to three, or companies that thought they needed you know, 45 are down to six. We work with some of the largest technology companies in the world, one of our largest clients, literally global, 1,800 marketing people all around the world. Mm. They have only 22 buyer personas. Wow. Well, I worry, and there's plenty of people who are going to hunt me down and beat me over the head with a bat when I ask this question, but there's a proliferation of all this marketing automation and sales automation tools and all these things and automatic triggered emails and and letters sent out at certain segments in the process here. I mean, I, it strikes me that that... When you're trying to really nail down to the legitimate buyer persona, this automation thing complicates that. Is that a fair statement? What's your comment there? Well, automation, and you know, I've worked in the tech industry for 30 years, and so technology has always had this flaw. And it's, it's not, a, it's, let's not talk about marketing automation, it's just in general, that if we automate bad processes, that the, it looks like the technology is failing. In fact, we've kind of got the cart before the horse a little bit with marketing automation in many instances where we've come in and we've brought in this tool without having good understanding of what our buyers want to experience through the buying process. And so if we can get, and this is hard, 
if we can kind of get wrap our heads around that our objective as a company is to be is to provide the best buying experience on the planet. And if we do that, we're going to win more business. You know, let's face it, most of us are selling products that kind of, sort of, do the same thing as everybody else's products. And so we really ought to start to distinguish ourselves and make sure that our marketing automation is supporting the objective to create a wonderful buying experience for our customers. And, and I'm not sure that we're starting with enough, I know we're not starting with enough insight into what that means, so we're automating, you know, we're letting the automation drive things rather than letting the automation serve the mm. result we want it to achieve. That is a key differentiator there, no doubt about that. So running low on time, Adele, one one final discussion here. So this idea, uh, I mean, you you mentioned the critical importance of what you're talking about here in terms of a long in complex sales cycle. And well, this what you're talking about applies to everyone from small organizations like me to the large enterprises. But when I'm thinking of a large enterprise selling into a large enterprise with that long and complex sales cycle, you're dealing with and probably have to sell and convince multiple constituents in that process and in the, and during that cycle. Does this does does your approach to the buyer persona change as you're as you're dealing with a lot of decision makers in one sale and and related to that is there a difference between what you're talking about when you're when you're talking and trying to sell someone lower in the organization versus the c level yeah so thank you so there's a big difference in the the role of different people in the buyer in the buying decision based in a complex sale you know you'll typically have a c level or executive or economic buyer who's very influential at the beginning of the of the buying decision because they're the ones that really have to authorize the team to make this a priority and go out and investigate a solution like this. So they're they're very that it's very important to know how to influence that triggering event. We call that the priority initiative insight. Like what triggers that C level executive, the company as a whole, to start to look at this as a priority and get out of the status quo. And then, generally, in the middle of the sales cycle, there's somebody leading the evaluation process who's more, who's junior to the C-level. We'll just call it that. And there's usually a whole team involved in a big decision. You know, there may be people in, you know, different parts of the organization. We've seen, you know, dozens of different people involved in that evaluation process. And then at the end of the sales cycle, the C-level buyer comes back in. I call the C-level buyer kind of like the hamburger buns. But the meat of the buying decision occurs in, by this team that's involved in assessing their options. And usually this, so at the C-level buyer becomes very critical when he's got to sign off on this and approve, you know, the funding. So there's an attitude within sales, and I mean, I had it too when I was running sales, that the decision maker is that C-level buyer. I would say to you there's two decisions. There's the decision to spend money on this, and that's a C-level buyer. And there's a decision about who we're going to spend the money with, and that's the other people in the middle. So generally, there's kind of like two different buying decisions. Mm -hmm. And the group in the middle there, even though there may be a lot of different people, they have, tend to have some differences in what they need to know, but not as much as we think they do. Hmm. 
Interesting way to look at that. That's uh, that's very, very helpful. Well, Adele, it's criminal that you and I are only going to talk for uh, not even 30 minutes. Uh, there's much more to discuss with what you're talking about here. We might just have to have you back on the show to continue the dialogue. But for today, unfortunately, we are out of time. Before I let you go, how can people contact you? Should they have questions, where can they learn more about the Buyer Persona Institute? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on a copy of the book? Well, you can, you can, so I'll take the important part. They can get the book at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or just any other bookstore that you are, want to, that you regularly shop. We're at buyerpersona.com. And so you can Google buyer persona and you'll find us or at buyerpersona.com. We're also on facebook.com slash buyerpersona. I'm at, on Twitter at buyerpersona. It's pretty hard. If you just think by your personas, you're probably going to find me. Probably going to find you. All right. Adele Ravella, the author of Buyer Personas, How to Gain Insight into Your Customers' Expectations, Align Your Marketing Strategies, and Win More Business. Adele, a real pleasure to have you. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much, Todd. The pleasure was mine. All right. Well, that wraps this conversation. Again, on behalf of my guest, Adele Ravella, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. Thank you.